please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in our series of Life Together. We're going to be in uh, two verses, 10 and 11, and then we're going to uh, skip some verses, the lectionary skips some verses, and we'll be in 16 through 23. We're going to read it first. So 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11, and then 16 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All belong to you and you belong to Christ And Christ belongs to God. Father, please give understanding to us as we think through these words by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to begin our study today by asking a question. It's kind of an obvious question. Why is the foundation of something so important? I know it's obvious, but let's just think about it for a minute. Humor your pastor. A foundation of anything, the base upon something rests, is a key component for what comes next, for what is built on top of it. We see this concept everywhere, but I want to talk about families for a second. When people know that they're going to have a child, they have a great opportunity to lay a solid foundation for that child to grow and thrive. All children need a bedrock of love, nurturing, teaching, and introduction to the world around them. There are different ways to do this, and some parents are very intentional about how they proceed. Others, not so much, and others, not at all. Each child joins a family where a foundation has already been established, and that becomes part of the child's foundation, part of their story, part of what shapes and molds them. Parents lay a foundation and the child grows with that reality, whatever it happens to be. Now, all of us had parents and we know the ways in which they gave us a solid foundation and the ways that they did not. We understand from having children or working with them how important strong underpinnings are in a family. Because we're human, we need lots of help. Raising kids because there are holes and cracks 
in our foundation, places that have to be filled and patched in and replaced. Today, Paul is teaching his offspring about the foundation of the church. In the passage before this that we talked about last week, he was using the metaphor of gardening. He said one person plants and another waters, but God is the one who brings the growth. All life comes from him. Now, Paul has switched from talking about gardening to talking about buildings. With the same idea to get across that Christ is central to all that we are in Jew. And in this passage, his point is that Christ is the foundation of the church. And that foundation is given so that we as his people might build on that foundation to be a solid place of his dwelling on earth. Since he is perfect, there are no gaps. Or places that are worn or old. Everything is just as new as it was in the beginning. He is the bedrock of his people, strong and secure throughout the ages in all places. He never leaves. Now, this is an interesting metaphor, an interesting word picture, if you allow your mind to dwell on it a bit. The church is a vast living building. That embodies God's very presence. There is not one overarching style. Rather, it is quite varied and eclectic in its architecture. Some parts are ancient and some are very new. It is made up of all kinds of materials for his glory. Stained glass and hewn wood, ornate steeples and simple crosses. I see lots of windows with lots of light and candle and incense and icons, prayers in every tongue and music, so much music. There's heavy damage in some parts and some parts are dark where there used to be life. The church is made up of living stones, you and me. And all those who believe and trust Christ for their existence here and in the life to come. There are those who have gone ahead and places for those who have not yet been. The building that Paul speaks of is alive, full of God's spirit, dwelling in mystery and great presence. Paul's point with with these words is that the foundation... Of this living assembly, which is continually being added to and rearranged, is Christ himself. And that foundation is perfectly intact. A place for his people to rise from. He is the most important element of the church. And there are some things in this passage for us to consider with that truth in mind. Because Christ is the foundation, the church has to be careful how it builds. Because Christ is the foundation, the church is sacred. Because Christ is the foundation, all things have been given to the church through him. So let's begin with verses 10 and 11, where Paul is exhorting the church to be careful how it builds. Remember that he's talking to a struggling church. And he he says, I myself, through the grace of God laid the foundation as a skilled builder. 
The word skilled there is expert or wise. Paul here is talking about wisdom and foolishness in this whole section. We're going to talk about it again at the end. It's something to pay attention to. He says, I was the builder. That word is the word that we get the word architect from. It means builder, architect, overseer of their congregation. Paul is saying, remember, I was the planter. And now he says, I am the builder. God gave me those gifts to help construct the church. Paul here is saying that Christ is the only foundation. But what does that mean? What does it mean that Christ is the foundation? It means that his very presence embodies his people. It is the truth that he came to teach. It is the good news that we can all be forgiven and rise again. Jesus is the living foundation of the first green building in the world. He is the only living one that the church can be built upon. Not only that, Paul reminds us, no one can lay the foundation upon the one that has already been laid. No one pours two foundations. No one can invalidate the base, the original base. And if another springs up with a different foundation, it's not the church. That's an important thought that we need to keep in mind. That was important that Paul was trying to tell his people. When something springs up that claims to be the church but is not founded on Jesus is not the church. Many movements have sprung up and called themselves the ecclesia, the called out ones. But their foundation was a false theology or a charismatic leader or an agenda that was not Jesus Paul is not saying that Jesus should be the foundation. He is not saying Jesus ought to be the foundation. He is saying Jesus is the only foundation of the church. Now, this is an important distinction for this body of believers, the Corinthians, because remember, we keep talking about how they're building on other leaders. And Paul is saying, no, no. That does not work. There's no other foundation of the church besides Jesus. No human, no great ideals, no great programs, nothing new, no agenda. Paul says, I built on that which was given to me by God's grace. Jesus is the cornerstone that holds everything together. And he says, someone else is building on it. Of course, we all build the church. Everyone uses their gifts And that way the church thrives. We don't do it alone. But he's reminding them how they've been building has not been wise. We don't have to be in construction to know a wonky building when we see it, right? We know that something has to fit the foundation. It has to be supported by the foundation and shaped to match it. The whole thing needs to work together. But the footprint of the building, the foundation, that is essential. And the church has to pay attention to Jesus as it builds because we are a living, breathing organism that's ever-changing. And so the church has to take care in how we build. The second idea found in 16 and 17 is it because Christ is the foundation, the church is sacred. Now, I want to remind you that the lectionary had to skip over some verses. 
and I would encourage you to read them. I think that they did that because it kind of takes us in a little bit of a different trajectory about the day of judgment and people using different materials. Some are permanent and some are not. So we're going to skip over those today, but I would encourage you to read those because it is part of the whole uh, section here. But back to verses 16 and 17. Paul reminds them that as believers, they are the temple of God. Now we have a new metaphor, right? So we had a garden and we had a building and now we have a temple. And we know that the temple in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of Yahweh. The place where his spirit resided. The holiest place among the people where they knew that he was close to them. And that they were not alone on their journey. A serious place of worship and sacrifice. And we know because of Jesus that that temple is now in our hearts. That he is with us. Paul here is not talking to individuals. He is talking to the collective community of faith. He is saying, you yourselves are God's temple. God's spirit is among you. When you gather together in unmistakable ways, he is invisible to us. Yet sometimes we perceive him as if he is standing right in front of us. For the last few months, our friend Stan Brown, who plays the harmonica, has come out to hug. And he has said to me, I met a friend today in worship. And I said, oh, really? Who? And he goes, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He was with us, Colleen. I felt him. Now, I love that because part of the way that the church grows is when his people who are built for his purpose gather and he is with them. God is holy and God dwells with us. And when we come together, it's such a great opportunity to experience his loving presence among us. This is the best reason to come to church on a Sunday morning to meet with God to experience the Lord and his community different than on our own. Remember that Corinth was also a city full of religious temples. Some of them were said to be grand and quite impressive. Some of would have been beautiful to see. And I wonder if when Paul is talking about temples and how you are the temple of God, that he, people are kind of thinking about the temples that they know that are in their neighborhood maybe that are impressive. And Paul is saying to them, as a body of Christ, you are just as beautiful as one of those temples that you see. A grand piece of architecture is not as beautiful as the body of Christ gathered together. The body of Christ can be just as constant in community, in a neighborhood, as a temple that you drive by every day on your way to work. He's saying, together, you are extraordinary. A temple, beautiful. The Lord lives in you. This is not a small matter. Then the Lord, then, then Paul gives a warning for those who would try to destroy the people of God. In this context, of course, the church is being threatened because of worldly wisdom and fighting and jealousy and too much emphasis and boasting in other leaders. But all of us know Issues that can take down a church. All of us have heard or seen firsthand the darkness that can come and envelop the people of God and destroy a local body of believers. 
These are harsh words from Paul that those who destroy the body themselves will be destroyed by God. He knows how vulnerable the church can be. He once prayed on the church himself. With the grace he received now, he protects it. And he is telling those who are in there, who are not being divisive, who are trying to live as though Christ are the foundation of their lives, that God is always with them no matter what. In famine or persecution and great harvest, in opposition from culture, those who trust in the spirit of the Lord together will be saved. They will prevail. Thirdly, let's look at verses 18 through 23. For those whom the foundation is Christ, all has been given to them. All has been given to the church, says Paul. He goes back to the idea of the wise and the foolish. We've talked about this a lot. The world thinks Christ crucified is nothing to build one's life upon. Paul reminds the church that when they hear that message, they should embrace the fact that the world thinks that they're foolish. It's as though he's saying there is victory in defeat. Paul, re- people reject not only God's truth, but the simplicity of the message of the cross. I was thinking how no one wants to look foolish. It's not really our favorite thing. No one really wants to be embarrassed. That's why people don't dance at weddings. Or sing out loud or public speak or cook for others. Because they don't want to be embarrassed. And Paul says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stand for God in public. Of course, Noah looked like a fool when the rain came down. Before the rain came down and people teased him mercilessly. The prophet Isaiah walked naked and without shoes for almost three years. While he preached that Egypt was going to overpower Israel. Hosea married a prostitute that looked so foolish to the people around him. Hosea, what are you doing? Leave her. But the Lord told him to do that so that he could show the people who God was. Young David went out to fight a Philistine warrior who taunted them. You bring me a child? Paul is telling the church, don't be afraid to look like fools. The one on whom you're building your life. It's okay to look like idiots to the world so that you might have Christ. He's actually almost telling them, embrace the idea of looking foolish. Because that is inevitable as we come close to God. He also tells them again to stop boasting in human leaders. That's one way that the world has crept into the church. He tells them to boast in God alone. And then he says something interesting in verse 21. He reverses what they have been saying. Remember that they kept saying, well, I boast in Paul and I boast in Cephas and I boast in Apollos. And Paul is telling them in verse 21, actually, you don't belong to those leaders in factious groups. They belong to you. The leaders and the people who teach belong to the church, which is part of Christ found in God. Everyone belongs to one another. He expands this idea by saying, everything is available to you, church. The future, even death is a gift. The world, 
They've been so focused in on their tiny context, so focused in on fighting and worrying about things that aren't eternal, that they've lost sight of the greatness of God. I think that this is an expansive promise for a church in trouble. I think it's a good reminder for the church that even when there is division, even when we fight, even when we fail, that God's presence is still with us. That God's presence still promises to move us forward because he is the foundation. I thought all week about um, Jesus' parable about the wise and the foolish person. All week long I've been singing that song in my head from Matthew 7. Jesus has just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says to them, whoever hears these words, whoever hears this teaching, whoever hears this foundation and builds their life on me is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. And when the rains come, didn't we have rain this week? The rains come, it felt like the rains were going to come and keep coming. And the floods come up, everything stays dry and secure because their life is built on him. Not so, Jesus says, for the foolish. They build their life on sand, and when the rain falls, their house floats away. I was thinking about how there are different responses to those whose lives fall apart, whose lives aren't built on the solidness of Jesus. One response that sometimes we give or we hear is, well, too bad for them. They should have known better than to build their life on something so close to the edge in a flood zone. Another response sometimes we hear is, oh, I feel awful for them. That's terrible. I'm glad it didn't happen to me, though. This passage of Paul reminds us that there is another way to respond for those whose foundation is Christ. We hear Jesus' words, and then we kind of stop there sometimes forgetting what comes next when someone's life has been destroyed when they don't have anything left because they built their life on the sand that's when the church says there is hope there is hope for you that's not the end of the story we can come alongside them and introduce them to the one who has the foundation made of rock A foundation that will never crumble or slide or disintegrate in the weight of the storms. We can invite them to come and rest on the foundation of Christ. Because church, all is ours. And we have all so that we can give hope to those whose lives have been decimated. So let us continue to be the church. And let us continue to invite others on the foundation that we rest on. Let's pray.